0: Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who has overcome will, like them, be dressed in white, (coughs) I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches,
1: Good morning. Good morning. Well, welcome. My name's Ollie Benyon. If I haven't met you before. There's a few visitors here with us today. It's great to, to have you. I'm the associate vicar here. And I just want to just uh, congratulate Eloise. Didn't she do amazing? She didn't make a fuss. I was partly hoping she would make a little more of a fuss and make it a bit harder for Kat. But because uh, I normally have, you know, the difficult children. Um, no. <laughs> it's uh, uh, now you're kind of those who I've... Baptised or christened, are going to go. Oh my goodness, to my child, a difficult child. Well, uh, it's great to, to to welcome you if you are a visitor, and uh, we are going through uh, a series in Revelations. So uh, this is what you have, have come to this morning. We've managed to pack in a lot in thirteen verses there. I don't know if you noticed that it's quite a lot of stuff going on, and. Um, What we're looking at is a a few uh, chapters where Jesus, through the Apostle John, writes letters to a tiny group of seven churches in the Roman province of Asia. Now, I think Ellie put up a very helpful slide last week, so I'm stealing it, or something similar, which kind of gives a little indication of where we've been going, and this this journey, this arc going up and then down of where we've been going. So so far, we've looked at the churches of Ephesus, um, Smyrna, Pergamon. Uh, Thyatira and this morning we're going to 30 miles south to the church of Sardis and then we're going to go a little probably another 25-30 another miles uh, then to, to Philadelphia shortly at the end and hopefully they're going to beautifully fit together and not be too complicated having two churches together. So Sardis, let's have a look at this one to start with. Now this was a church That had made a name for itself. Oh yes, it was going places. It would have been known by these other six churches for being vibrant. For being a happening place. This is the place you wanted to be at. Its congregation was probably quite large and it was growing. People were coming to this church. And there would have been plenty of exciting and relevant activities going on in this church. When you came, maybe the new sheet was filled with exciting things that are happening. Social action projects and little discipleship course. Loads of different things. Church on a Sunday would have been an exciting place to be culturally relevant speakers preaching from the Bible. Uh, Maybe uh, they had talented and probably very good-looking worship leaders and worship team. They had excellent welcome teams, probably. uh, Refreshment teams, leadership teams. It was a a wonderful place to to, to look at. There was no shortage of money or talented human people. Human people. um, Human resources, you know. Those talented human people. Oh, um, and if you visited that church, you would probably come away going, wow, that was, what an alive church that was. The worship was uplifting. The people friendly. The preacher spoke with eloquence some scripture. I wish, I just wish uh, my church or a church I went to was as live as this one. You know, there was every indication from those kind of first appearances that this church was full of life. But what does Jesus say about it? Verse 2, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Wow, that's not a great start. You know, how... it easy it is I don't know about you um, but I you know it's so easy to be taken back by the outward appearance of something you know this vibrant looking church was actually a spiritual graveyard it seemed to be alive but in fact it was it was dead how is this possible what was wrong with this church well, to understand some of the language that Jesus uses uh, in this uh, passage, we need to know a little bit of the history of uh, this city of Sardis. Now, Sardis was one of the most uh, famous cities in the, in the ancient world. She enjoyed great wealth and she was securely placed high on an inaccessible ledge. Um, I've got a little picture of the inaccessible ledge. Next one. Um, yeah. Oh, you've gone to two. There's two of them. Okay. So there's got uh, uh, you know particularly high, 1,500 foot cliffs surrounding the city on three sides, making it like an impregnable, impregnable kind of fortress. And attackers might come and go, but the citizens were quite content that they they knew that they couldn't do anything to come and attack them. They felt very safe in their surroundings. You can take that down now. However, 600 years before the gospel reached this city, the good news of Jesus reached this city, it was attacked. And an invading Persian army found a way up, uh, way into this city. You know, one brave man scaled the walls. You know, imagine like Tom Cruise in you know, Mission Impossible 2. You know, scaled the walls and managed a surprise attack. Because no one was expecting it, the, 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 the result was even more devastating. This was a lesson that this city needed to remember, and they did to be prepared, to not rest on their kind of laurels so that actually this is that they can, you know, they can be attacked. And they didn't forget that. And in this letter, Jesus is telling the church. That so they too need to learn this lesson all over again. They had a reputation. Oh, we love our reputations, don't we? We had a reputation of being alive, of being a vibrant place, a community where things were happening. But they had gone to sleep on their reputation. Maybe the good times in the past, they were dependent on, on those good things. But now it all got stale and they needed to wake up and then Jesus uses an image that would have just grabbed their attention that if they did not wake up if they did not get prepared Jesus says I in verse 3 I will come like a thief and you will not know what time I will come to you Jesus is putting a stark warning on them that they you know on a on something they would have been very aware of in the past that if they do not wake up they're going to be attacked. They're, they're, they're going to fall. So what was missing from this church? Well, as with each of these letters in um, Revelation, we get an indication of the problem from the first, from right at the beginning of uh, the letter. And it says this, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. A little bit strange to get your head around. But just, the, just to explain that the, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven spirits, that's again a bit confusing, but it's a reference to the Holy Spirit that is at work in each of these churches. Now the problem with the church was not that it got mixed up in some kind of bad doctrine or some heresy. There is no indication the congregation were being uh, drawn away by uh, Balaam or the Nicolaitans or Jezebel as we've been hearing over the last few weeks. Some of the other churches had uh, fallen for those things. The problem was that they had forgotten that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, brings life, as it says in Romans eight. You see, sound doctrine and you know, being Orthodox, on their own cannot bring church back to life. What can is the gift? That they receive the one that we all receive when we come and accept that the good news of, of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the gift we receive is the Holy Spirit. This is the greatest gift that a Christian has ever received and will ever receive the Spirit of God Himself. And Jesus, He lives within us and changes us from, from within. And he fills us with love. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He fills us with love. He fills us with joy. He fills us with peace. He calms those, maybe those selfish passions and transforms our character into the likeness of Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And this church, they got everything else right, but without Christ's Spirit working within them, Then all their efforts, all their social action projects, all their hard works were just good deeds. And no matter how virtuous they are, how wonderful they may seem to those who who look at them on the outside, Jesus says in verse 2, I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. All their work was seen as incomplete. Now, this is, a re- this is a stinging rebuke. You know, they would have, would have expected um, a glowing report, like a, you know, an excellent Ofsted report. You know, there's many people who don't understand Ofsted. You know, an excellent Ofsted report for your school. But in fact, they, they got a, you know, requires improvement. Worse off than all the other churches that we've seen before. But there is hope. That's the wonderful thing about the Christian faith. There is hope. There is a way back from the brink of death, death. They can wake up. They're not, in fact, completely dead. They can wake up. And Jesus has a reputation, though, of bringing even dead things back to life. Um, I don't know if you, you remember some of the stories in the Gospels. In John 11, you know, the most famous one is when he brings his friend Lazarus back to life. And by the time Jesus had arrived at this funeral, uh, the funeral had, had already taken place. The body was buried. And when Jesus started talking about raising Lazarus from the dead, he had to be told, but Jesus, you know, he'd been in, he'd been, you know, in a tomb dead for four days. He's going to have a bad odor. Or as the, the King James Version says in its very uh, vivid way, by this time he's stinketh. Today, it is easy to recognize churches who have just corrupted the truth and there is a bad odor to them. And they look nothing like the kingdom of God. They're just so far away from that. And it's obvious that such churches are dead. But it doesn't have to be. Even those churches can be brought back from the brink. Jesus also brought back to life the son of the, the widow Nan in Luke, um, Luke 7. On this occasion, Jesus arrived and the funeral was actually taking place in front of him. And like anybody at this point, if you went up to that body that was during the funeral and you looked at it, you would, you would know that this was a lifeless and dead body. And there are churches today that yeah, not outwardly defying the gospel truth, but who are simply corpse-like in their appearance, yeah, they're just going through the motions. There is no life there. I was forwarded an email this week from someone who's close to me. And he had met with a, a man over dinner. And uh, it came clear to my friend that though this man, he went to church um, and, uh, his, and he had some kind of faith. It, actually, his church he went to and his faith was, was dead. And compelled to speak the truth, my friend decided to email this this gentleman. And this is a little bit of what he said in his email. He said this. I hope you don't mind me saying so, but your church sounds dead. Good start, isn't it? He's, He's quite blunt with his words. The congregation think they are sinless and respectable. And they spend their times on good Christian works because they think that that is what Christianity is all about. They think that sin isn't their problem and that it exists outside the church. They might as well join any kind of social club for the good their church is doing. No wonder it's emptying particularly of young. They instinctively know it is a waste of time. Even a superficial reading of the New Testament will show you that Christ was killed by the respectable religious people because he came to make all things new and terrified the life out of them. He shocked them by spending time strongly criticizing them for their self-righteous attitude. He was drawn away to the lost, those locked in sinful behavior, the weak, the prostitutes, the drunks, those on drugs, all the sort of people our churches often scorn. These are the people, like me, who need a savior. And that's what Christ is all about. It went on, but I'll stop there. And I, I'm not sure what impact uh, that email will make on that man. But with Jesus, there is always hope to bringing life back into a dead situation. And the third person that Jesus brought back to life was the daughter of Jairus in uh, Luke 8. This is my daughter's actually favorite passage. They love reading this one. And when Jesus went to this child, she was was lying on the bed looking young and attractive. And it would have been so easy to imagine that she was in sleep, you know, just resting. But in fact, she was dead. And there are churches and Sardis is one of them. Uh, are like there are like this. They don't they don't seem to be lifeless. Their outward appearance can be attractive and it can be warm, but without the life that God gives, you know, they are completely dead. And I want to reassure you uh, that HT is a church that is far from being dead, but is in fact alive. How do I know? Because we are seeing the spirit of God poured out on people's lives regularly. We're seeing people come to faith. Just this week, one student um, came to faith we're seeing answers to prayer we're seeing financial answers to prayer jobs people going through sickness we're seeing answers to prayer in those areas I heard of an international student who left last week after being here for a year and they said that HT has been the best part being a part of this church community has been the best part of being in Cambridge and she had grown in her faith there is life in this church but it's not something we should take for granted on two occasions, Sardis had fallen because of an underlying weakness in their defenses. She had failed to secure the back door. You know, the commanders and her guard had presumed they only needed to defend the weakest point and leaving the, the kind of the, 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 the back door, the cliffs, the, 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 the strongest point they thought, unguarded. And Jesus commands such a church: wake up. He says they must not presume that they are only vulnerable at their weakest point. A church can fall, like Sardis, at the point where she feels the strongest, the most secure. And I think the same can be applied to us personally. How often when we look back at our own lives, uh, it is precisely when we thought we were strong, where we thought we had things under control, when actually we were weak and therefore defeated. It is only when we are wide awake that we can encounter the attack of the enemy. And that is why it is so important to be committed to a spirit-filled church uh, and to be part of a community. And if you are a part of this church or whatever church you are in, um, you know, I want you to imagine that church or HT as, as a fire, Our purpose is to bring light to the world around us. The good news that Jesus is not just alive today, but he's opened the way for us to, 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 to know our Father in heaven. And we can know him as friend forever. But the only way we can bring light is because of the Spirit of God living in us. He is the oxygen to our fire. If we forget to worship God, to be obedient to his teachings, to be constantly, daily filled with the spirit of God, we take away the breath of God, the oxygen that keeps that fire burning. And no matter how good our works are, how, however big we get or popular or how big our reputation becomes, we will end up being a dead church. So the challenge to every church And to every Christian is, how do we keep that fire burning? Well, how do we do this? The passage gives us three very short little things, all in the same verse. In verse 3, the first one is to remember the gifts you received, the message you heard. You know, the gift of his spirit. This is the free gift given to us and his word. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus today, then don't forget why you became a Christian in the first place. Now, how the Holy Spirit has transformed your life in the past. And how he can and will continue to do so in the future. How you've seen and heard of countless answers to prayers. The good news that God loves us so much that he made a way for us to be with him forever. This incredible good news message that we have. Don't forget to remember. John Stott said, the shortest, the shortest road to repentance is remembrance. To remember what you used to be, what the Lord has has taken and transformed, and by God's grace, what you could be with uh, his Holy Spirit at, at work in our lives. And when we remember all these things, the next thing he says is to obey the truth. You know, not to pick and mix truth, take what you want and ditch the undesirable stuff, you know, truth is very difficult, especially in our culture around us, to hold on to things that we know in Scripture, even though they may seem not popular, but to hold on to them anyway, it is a very difficult thing. and I'm very aware of that. But it is an instruction for us to hold on to it. God's Word is our manual for life, to learn to live that out, to not just ignore it and say, I don't need to bother reading it, it's not relevant today. It is. I encourage you, I implore you to read it. It is God's instruction for his people and the only way that we can get close to him and to know how we're to live out throughout this life. How we're going to make meaning and purpose out of our 70, 80, 90 years of existence here. And then finally, to repent, which means to turn back to God. It doesn't matter how far you have wandered away from God or if you've ever been in front of God, ever kind of wandered to him in the first place. We can always, at any point, turn back to him. Jesus loves to bring what was once dead back to life. And that is what is on offer today. That is what we want to offer here today. His life-giving Holy Spirit. So that is the church of Sardis. That's the one of the main, what I've been spending my time. It's, and though it was, they thought it was strong, in fact, it was, it was weak and it was asleep. That's their situation. And we're going to look briefly at the church of Philadelphia. Now, the church of Philadelphia was the complete opposite of this church of Sardis. In human terms, they were weak. This church didn't have any weight or political power. They were no more than a handful of converts. They were materially poor and and really they had no kind of consequence. From a worldly perspective, they were weak. However, like the church insiders, they had not forgotten where their strength comes from, who provides for them. They had turned to their God and found that he provided in every situation. As Abraham Lincoln considered the burden of taking up his post in the Oval Office as the president, he said this, Without divine assistance, I cannot succeed. With with it... I cannot fail. That is exactly what these Philadelphians did. They saw their weakness as their strength because they know where their provision came from. And this small church uh, had faced extremely difficult times and it knew difficult times were coming ahead as well. They had been persecuted by a larger community who claimed to be Jews, but in fact, they were not. They belonged to Satan and not to God, as the passage said. And after such fierce opposition and being fully aware of their, their own weaknesses, you think the wise thing, the sensible thing was just to keep your heads down. Don't, don't do anything silly. Don't, put your, don't kind of attract attention to yourselves. But that is not the plan Jesus has for them. It was this very city, not Sardis and all their popularity, but this city with a church that was oppressed, the church was seemingly weak, that Jesus opens a door for the gospel. Why here? Because unlike Sardis, they had kept God's word and not given up following him and were filled with the spirit, no matter how desperate and bleak their situation was. I'm sure There is not one person here today who who doesn't face a situation week in, week out, where they feel powerless. And if you're a Christian, maybe you feel powerless in your faith. Powerless to speak about Jesus because of what other people think. Powerless to proclaim his truth because maybe other people will laugh. Or because maybe you won't get that promotion. Powerless to make a stand for something in fear of just some form of opposition. Jesus' promise to this church and his promise to us today is that he's opened up doors that no one can shut in verse 7 and calls each of us not to retreat, not to hide away, waiting for all like the perfect circumstances to, to kind of map themselves out before I do anything. No, he says that we are to advance and speak out the good news. To not look at our situation and think we are weak and have nothing to offer. But instead, to look at the author, the creator, the giver of life, the provider of all good things in our life. And like Abraham Lincoln say, with all that, we cannot fail. So just to finish, two things I want us to remember to take away from this morning. and Take away from these two churches as well. Is firstly, don't fall asleep in your faith. It is so easy to do so, you know, especially when things are looking good and we're just comfortable. You know, maybe family situation, work situation, uh, relationships, it's all going well. Maybe things in the past were so good with God and I could just rest and relax. Don't get comfortable. Don't let your guard down and let the enemy attack when you are least expecting it. But wake up. Make sure you keep depending on God and continuing to be filled. You know, not just once a year at a Christian festival, but regularly filled with the free gift of the water of life, this Holy Spirit that can pour out and refresh us and restore us. And the second thing we can learn from this other church in Philadelphia is do believe in God's provision. So don't fall asleep in your faith, but do believe in God's provision. There is great, incredible power in our weakness. Jesus demonstrated this on the cross. It is how the, the Christian gospel is, uh, you know, is based on, on weakness, being born in a stable, you know, dying on a cross. If you think you have very little to offer, if you feel that it's just too difficult, well, brilliant. God can use our weakness. Just, and like the Philadelphians, if you, if you are keeping God's word and, you know, you're being faithful to him. In verse 8, well, great. Why, why not begin to tell people about it? You know, if you are keeping it, then, you know, I want to encourage you employ you to start speaking about it. If you have refused to deny Jesus' name, hey, well, that's great. Feel encouraged. But Jesus is saying to this Philadelphian church and to us, hey, why not now actively proclaim it? Because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to provide for you. I want to finish with one um, uh, verse from 1 Corinthians. And it says this, 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. You know, we are we can all relate to that in some way. And I want to encourage us, why don't we be we be fools for Jesus and to 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 depend on him completely in all aspects of our lives. Amen.